0: This evening, and Lord willing, over the next couple of Sunday evenings, I'm going to take us through some of the shorter, more personal letters that we find in the New Testament. Tonight, as you can see on the screen, we're going to look at Paul's letter to Philemon. I also plan to look at 2nd, 3rd John if the Lord gives us the opportunity over the next couple of weeks. It seems largely that these letters are neglected because they're so short. They're they're sometimes handled in Sunday school classes. I know, for example, that Andy Gray covered Second and Third John in his class on Johannine epistles a few years ago, and Philemon was covered in the the Pauline epistles class in Sunday school. But from the pulpit, these letters seem to fall into neglect. Uh, Sermons may be lifted from individual verses or sometimes even a paragraph, but actually looking at the letter seems to be absent largely. My I know that my brief treatment of them in single sermons will will certainly not overcome their neglect, but I hope to at least get them on all of our radar so that we will see how these short letters apply to our lives. These are short personal letters. Philemon is the most personal letter we find in our Bibles. Paul wrote it to an individual named Philemon. There, there are several indications, though, that this letter is is not exactly a private correspondence. Instead, it functions kind of like an open letter to a person. This past week, Pastor John MacArthur wrote an open letter to Governor Gavin Newsom, uh, the governor of California, if you're not familiar with his name. Governor Newsom's office has launched a, a pro-abortion billboard in states around California where he's inviting women to come to California to receive abortions. Now, apparently on those billboards he even quoted a scripture as if the words of Christ could somehow be twisted to support abortion. So John MacArthur wrote a letter to Newsom calling for him to, to turn from his wicked ways and to bow before the, the truth of the gospel for his eternal soul. That The letter was certainly addressed to Governor Newsom, but the fact that it was published as an open letter indicates that, that, that Pastor MacArthur hopes that other people will also hear and heed this call for repentance. Paul's letter to Philemon functions in a somewhat similar fashion. Paul writes to a man named Philemon, and at the same time he expects that that many other church members can hear and learn from the appeal that he makes. I'm assuming tonight that the letter of Philemon is not as familiar as some of the New Testament books, so I've decided we'll take an inductive approach. We'll work our way briefly through the book, and then we'll step back and, and think about what is teaching of us. We'll, we'll do it in very quick fashion this evening, but, but let's begin. Let's begin with a brief overview of the letter. It's a short letter, so let's begin our overview simply by, by reading it. Hopefully you found it now in your Bibles. Paul writes, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker, and to Aphea, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always, making mention of you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, since I am such a person as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus." I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, who formerly was useless to you, but now is, both use, is useful both to you and to me. I have sent him back to you in person, that is, sending my very heart, whom I wish to keep with me, so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything, so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but of your own free will. For perhaps he was for this reason separated from you for a while, that you would have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you regard me a partner, accept him as you would me. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it. Not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self as well. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, since I know that you will do even more than what I say. At the same time, also prepare me a lodging, for I hope that through your prayers I will be given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, Jesus greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke. My fellow workers, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Because Philemon is a letter, there there is a natural structure to its breakdown, and the first section is simply the greeting. That covers verses 1 through 3. These verses tell us that, that Paul is the writer of this letter, that Philemon is the recipient. We also learn in the greeting that Paul is in prison at this time and that Timothy is with him. Most likely Timothy, if they're ministering to Paul at, during his arrest, that, that tells us enough information so we can place this letter into what we would call the prison epistles. The, the other prison epistles are e, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Paul wrote these letters during his imprisonment in Rome and sent them back to church if they knew. So aside from this letter, phi Philemon, this this extra letter here that's part of this group, is this person, this man, is unknown to us. He's addressed by Paul as a beloved brother and fellow worker. It is clear from the outset of the letter that Paul has great affection for him. But based on the fact that and that both Anesimus and Archippus are mentioned in Colossians chapter 4, they're, we're told they're members of the church in Colossae we're able from that to assume that Philemon also lives in Classe, but we really have no record of him outside this short little letter. We can surmise that Philemon is rather well-to-do. Uh, clearly, he's wealthy enough to own a slave, and that's what the core of this letter is about, but it seems as if he's also wealthy enough to host the church, or at least one congregation of the church in Classe unclear how large the church might be at this time if there'd be multiple congregations that make up the church and uh, in, in multiple house churches but at the very least he houses a portion of the the church in his house so he he seems to be well to do the the fact that the church is included in Paul's greeting is one of the factors that demonstrates that this is somewhat of an open letter as far as the other people listed in the greeting a Apphia is likely Philemon's wife, since she's listed before Archippus. That would probably be the reason a woman would be listed next. It's also probable that Archippus is the pastor of the church that meets in Philemon's house. We surmise that based on the reference to him in Colossians 4.17. It's notable as well that the greeting in verse 3 matches the one in Colossians exactly, except for the addition... He adds here, the Lord Jesus Christ, in the name of the Lord. But otherwise, if I'd call that, that suggests that Paul wrote these letters back to back, that he's using the, the same format that's going through his mind still at the same time. Most likely, Tychicus, who carries the letter to Colossians and who accompanies Onesimus, is, is the one who maybe carried the same letter back to Philemon from Rome. Those are little tidbits that we pick up from the greeting. But following the greeting, in typical Pauline fashion, Paul moves into the body of the letter. And and as he moves into the body of the letter, he moves into the prayer report. The prayer report in verses 4 through 7. Generally, when Paul writes a letter, he includes a report of things that he's either praying for or thanking God for. Things that, that he is including in his prayers. Every time he does that, though, the items he lists pertain to the issues that, that the readers are facing and, and the things that he'll deal with in the rest of the letter. So we, we get a lot of um, foreshadowing in what Paul mentions about his prayers. In this case, one thing that is not apparent in our modern English is, is that Paul moves from a plural you In verse 3, grace to you, in other words, all of you I have addressed, including the church. He addressed Philemon, Apheia, Archippus, and the church. This grace to all of you. Now to, in verse 4, a singular you, making mention of you, Philemon specifically, in my prayer. Our, Our current English usage of the word you works for both plural and singular, and we can't distinguish between the two, so we can't spot this switch. And that, that's one benefit of the older King James version where the switch is obvious. And verse 3 is grace to you, where verse 4 is making mention of thee. It's, it makes it obvious that he's switching to a singular. And this is the first hint that, that Paul is, is not going to deal with issues that affect the entire church. He's going to deal with one person. His concern is on Philemon specifically. Paul sticks with that singular you down through or until the, the final verse of the letter. So he's, he's talking from verse 4 on to Philemon specifically. Paul says in verse 5 that he's heard about Philemon's love and faith toward the Lord Jesus and the saints. Faith and love, those are the basic qualities that, that characterize a genuine and maturing Christian. The, the way that the language lays out, Paul is, is likely talking about Philemon's love for all the saints and his faith toward the Lord Jesus and not um, faith toward all the saints. That doesn't make sense. You you don't have faith in other people. You have faith in Christ. Let me just say in passing, uh, I'd like to park on a lot of things in this letter. I won't, but this is one of those I'd like to park on. If people are not hearing about our love for believers and, and our faith toward the Lord Jesus, then either A, we are not genuine Christians, Or or B, we are not maturing Christians. In in either case, we have a serious problem. People ought to be hearing about our love and our faith. In verse 6, moving on here, Paul also shares that he has been praying for, on Philemon's behalf, that the fellowship of his faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake there are a couple very important things to note. One, we know because we've read the rest of the letter here that that Paul's hoping that Philemon will will demonstrate his Christian faith and, and love in the very specific matter of Onesimus. Even though, to this point, Paul has not mentioned Onesimus' name anywhere, instead of bringing Onesimus to the foreground, Paul is bringing Philemon's salvation into the foreground his fellowship of his faith. His salvation. Paul wants Philemon to recognize that there's new realities that exist in his life as a result of the same grace that he experienced from Christ. And this changes everything. Salvation changes everything. Salvation is at the foundation of, of what Paul is going to build the hopes that he has for Philemon upon salvation second thing we should note is the key word fellowship that that's the familiar greek word koinonia uh, in 20, uh, 2018 and 2019 we did an entire spiritual family night series around that word koinonia we we learned in that series that that word is a very broad term it has a wide range of meanings but all of the meanings involve some type of a partnership uh, sharing together of some kind, either in something or, or with someone. That, that word shows up again in verse 17, and, and that, that idea of, of fellowship, partnership, it wraps up the main part of this letter. Paul is going to lean on the partnership or the Christian fellowship that, that comes to all of us through salvation as he deals with his core concern in this letter. Paul wraps up the section here telling Philemon directly that he can pray this way about him because of what he's heard. Paul has rejoiced that he has heard that of Philemon's, uh, Philemon's Christian care for other believers in Colossae. This brings great joy to his heart. Having finished the prayer report, Paul moves to the core topic of the letter, the, the, the personal appeal. If you look at it carefully, it's not until verse 10 that Paul finally mentions Onesimus. Onesimus is the the actual motivation for the letter in the the first place, but, but he doesn't bring him out until verse 10 in the discussion. And when he does, Paul does so through an appeal. He has chosen to, to not exercise his apostolic authority in, in this matter. He, he tells Philemon he's not going to, to pull out the apostolic gun. He's going to rather make an appeal to Philemon's Christian character. He's going to appeal to truths that are based upon the, the salvation that, that Philemon possesses in Christ Jesus. Now, from the things Paul writes, we, we can kind of sketch together the basics of the circumstances that uh, led up to the letter. Pylimen, as we've already noted, he's a, a Christian in Classe. Onesimus was apparently his slave. As we've encountered the matter of slavery many times in New Testament letters, we, we probably all know by this point, that, that slavery was very common in the Roman Empire. There, there are estimates that in the major cities of the Roman Empire at this time, that the population in the cities could have been as high as one-third slaves, a very large number of slaves. Unlike slavery in America, we have to go back in, in time, we have to bridge the cultural gap. So unlike slavery in America, slavery in Rome was not associated with race. Many people became slaves by being conquered through military battles. In fact, the Roman army financed much of their, their activity by, by selling captive people from lands of conquest as slaves. It, it produced lots of money that they could use to finance their armies. In, in that sense, Some of those captive people would be somewhat race-related in their slavery because a group of people would be captive, and that whole group would be moved in slavery, but it wasn't race that drove slavery. Other people were, were born into slavery as a child of a slave was a slave immediately, and then there were others who became slaves because they sold themselves into slavery, in Many ways, the the fate of a Roman slave was better than the fate of a poor free man in the Roman Empire. There there was no welfare system that that provided for the basic needs of a free man or for his family, while a slave owner would generally provide for the basic needs of his slaves. In, in fact, most Roman masters treated their slaves relatively well, because their slaves represented a significant financial investment. It wasn't necessarily altruistic reasons, but there was financial investment there. Many slaves were given significant responsibility and latitude within their master's households. Some even held positions that, that of, of great authority within their, their master's house. So we, we know this aspect of slavery, but at the same time, we need to understand that in the Roman Empire, a Roman master owned his slave. A slave was property. In that sense, slavery was like slavery in America as such a slave possessed no legal recourse if he or she was mistreated or abused by the master a master could punish a slave as he saw fit he could beat, he could even kill his slave and there would not be any serious reprisals at all from the Roman state so while many slave owners were decent to their slaves this was no no means a guarantee many slaves had very miserable lives well, we don't have any indication as to what type of master Philemon was. But apparently Onesimus had run away. Many runaway slaves sought to hide in the large cities of the empire, so Onesimus apparently made his way to Rome. That was quite a distance that would guarantee the likelihood of Philemon stumbling upon him as being almost zero. It was unlikely he would ever be found by his owner there. And While in Rome, through through some unmentioned providential set of circumstances, Onesimus meets Paul during Paul's imprisonment. This is probably one of those places where imaginations want to fill in the details. Uh, I don't know about you, but my curiosity is sparked by, but how did this come about? You have this runaway slave hiding, you have Paul in prison, and somehow they come together? How did that happen? But we don't know. What we do know is that through their connection, Paul led Onesimus to Christ through the gospel. Paul shared the gospel with everyone he encountered, including this runaway slave. And Onesimus came to know Christ as Savior. As Onesimus grew in his newfound faith, he came to understand that he had sinned against Philemon by running away. Onesimus had a duty as a slave to serve Philemon, his master. God had not provided a lawful way for Onesimus to become a free man, so his running away to Rome was in fact a sin against God. I would love to park on this point, but this is another one for the sake of time where I won't. We need to recognize, though, that, that we all have a duty to serve Christ within whatever circumstances God has placed us. Often that means submitting to to people that God has placed over us in various spheres of our lives. We, we, we sin if we use unbiblical means to try to change our circumstances. Even if our circumstances appear unjust, we, we sin if we fail to submit to the authorities in our lives. Now, again, I won't park here, but submission doesn't mean blind obedience. Submission means... Recognition and acceptance of the authority that God has placed above us. And failure to do that is sin. So Onesimus had sinned against Philemon. He had made a decision now, because he understood this, to return to Colossae and turn himself over to Philemon, his master. We need to understand this is a major decision. Runaway slaves were normally treated harshly. Often they were put to death. It was expected that a runaway slave would be made an example of so that it would serve as a deterrent to other slaves who might consider doing the same. In the Roman Empire, one of the things that carried severe penalties was even harboring a runaway slave. That was a serious offense. So the action that Onesimus is committing him to when he decides to return to, to Philemon carries great risk. Paul is a man within the culture of the day. He understands all of this better than we ever can. So he writes this letter on Onesimus's behalf. He encourages Philemon to receive Onesimus back in a kindly fashion. This really is a countercultural letter that he's writing. He he challenges Philemon to, to step back and look at the situation from a larger perspective than, than he normally would take take a step back and see the providential hand of God at work. Yes, Onesimus ran away. Yet that was the very act that that began a sequence of events that now led to Onesimus' conversion. So now Onesimus is not returning simply as a runaway slave. He's returning as a brother in Christ. One thing we should note is how Paul writes verse 16. Look at it in your Bible. He, he writes that Onesimus is returning no longer as a slave, but more than a slave. That little word, as, is important. Paul is not demanding that Philemon free Onesimus. As much as, as we might like to find a direct condemnation of slavery in Scripture, such doesn't exist Frankly, Scripture is not that concerned about our temporal, social, economic positions. God places people where God wants them to be throughout the society for his purposes. What Scripture is concerned about is how we serve God where he has placed us. With this little word, as, Paul is instructing Philemon that he is to regard Onesimus in a manner that that is different than his legal status. Legally, Onesimus is a slave. In fact, legally, Onesimus is his runaway slave. Spiritually, Onesimus is now his beloved brethren. He's reborn through faith in the same shed blood as Philemon himself. Paul wants Philemon to see that that the role of the master and slave, that's been transcended by now this relationship of brother. It really is not hard to see how such an attitudinal change would have a transformative effect on the institution of slavery. When Christianity spreads, how can one regard another person as property and at the same time as a brother and sister in Christ? Yet, a goal of eliminating slavery is foreign to Christianity. The Christianity is not a liberation theology. Rather, the elimination of slavery is a byproduct of the, the transforming work of Christianity. As Christ moves in hearts, a byproduct is slavery disappears because you cannot look as a, at a brother or sister in Christ and see property. is impossible. Paul appeals to Philemon here to receive Onesimus back as a brother in Christ. One who is loved because of that status. At, at the same time, Paul is also a realist. Paul recognizes that that Philemon has incurred financial losses in this situation. At the very least, Philemon has lost out on all the man hours of labor that that Onesimus had not given in the time between when he ran away and now. There's at least that loss. Beyond that, it was not unusual at all for a runaway slave to steal from his master as he fled the house. After all, the the runaway slave had to eat somehow, and and he couldn't exactly just immediately get a job as he left because he had to get somewhere where he wouldn't be found. So he needed funds for that. So it's possible that Onesimus stole from Philemon as well. Any such financial losses, Paul recognizes, could pose a hindrance to this reconciliation that that he's urging between the two of them. So Paul offers to assume the debt himself. Apparently, we see here that Paul also led Philemon to the Lord, so it reminds Philemon that, that Philemon owes Paul more than money. He owes Paul his own spiritual life. So, Philemon need not fear that, that Paul will repay any debt that Philemon feels he's owed. What we should notice is how Paul transforms his appeal on behalf of Onesimus into really an appeal between himself and Philemon. The issue originally is between Philemon and Onesimus, but Paul steps in and, and makes an appeal that's between Philemon and Paul. In verse 17, Paul uses this partnership idea again. He expects that Philemon will recognize that between Philemon and Paul, there is a partnership between them. They're they're serving the same goal. They're serving the gospel work together. There's a partnership forged by their shared faith and work in the gospel. And and Paul is now asking Philemon to, to bring Onesimus into this shared relationship, into this partnership. In verse 20, Paul assures Philemon that it will refresh his heart in Christ if Philemon does as Paul asks. Paul puts his own relationship with Philemon on the line as he appeals to Philemon. We we could even say that Paul models Christ as he takes upon himself the the debt that that Onesimus has incurred against Philemon. Paul's appeal is very, very, Personal. Having considered the, the personal appeal, that the final verses then wrap the letter up with the closing. Letters normally close with some housekeeping matters between the two parties. They're passing along of greetings and such, and that's what we find in the last verses. It's a little surprising where, verse twenty-one, Paul uses the word obedience as he shifts into closing. Most likely, what he means by that is he's confident that 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 Philemon will receive Onesimus as if he's receiving Paul himself. Some people suggest that when Paul writes there that you will do even more than what I say, that that Paul is hinting at Philemon that uh, hinting to Philemon that he should send Onesimus back to Rome to minister to Paul. That's unlikely. Um, the very next verse makes it clear that Paul is hoping to have his case dismissed soon and and that he'll have his own freedom to travel to Classe. There's no reason he'd want Philemon to send Onesimus back to Rome. Others suggest that Paul might be hinting that Philemon will free Onesimus from, from being his slave. Such a suggestion, I would say, is reading too much of our own views of slavery into the circumstances. It, it's not what he's saying there. We have to understand, in in Paul's day, freedom was not necessarily considered an absolute good the way we see it. Unless a slave had a means of supporting himself as a free man, he would often be in worse shape than he was as a slave. Most likely, Paul is simply indicating that he expects that Philemon will respond with unbounded brotherly love toward Onesimus. One thing that is interesting, as I mentioned earlier, is that the very final you in, in verse 25 where we have your spirit that you is again plural. Paul switches back and concludes this letter with a final indication. They expect this letter to function in a somewhat open fashion within the, the church in Colossae. He inter, he addressed it to the entire church and, and he closes with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you your spirit. The entire church is in the scope there. So having taken this this brief overview of the letter there are a lot of diamonds that, that we could mine but for the sake of time I'm going to close out with just two principles of application. Two things that, that we can step back and extract by way of principles. As we went I hinted at a couple short applications but as we wrap up what I want to do is put forward a couple principles that are more of generalization. They're they're more general in nature. First, we should recognize that our appeals toward other believers should find their basis in our shared salvation. When we make appeals, it should be based on what we share in our salvation. It, It is proper to make appeals to one another. As we fulfill the various aspects of brotherly love or genuine love that we've been talking about in our morning service, as we do those things, we are going to be brought into relational involvement with each other. It's necessary. We cannot have genuine love without relationships. And at times, it will require us to make appeals about certain things. What we can learn from Paul's example here to Philemon is that the, the basis of our, our appeal should be our shared salvation. That's the number one common experience that we all have. Yeah, we have other experiences that we share as well, but, but none of them compared to the fact that we have been purchased by the same blood. We have blood relationship now. None of our other experiences compared to the fact that we have been, are being jointly transformed, that, that we've been given a shared mission, that, that we will spend all eternity together Our our salvation supersedes any other common experience that we have. And that has real life implications. For example, the fact that we have a shared salvation with one another means that, that we want to live our lives in ways that please Christ. When we look at one another, we can see people who we know want to please Christ. We can have confidence that we all want to put off the old nature. We all want to put on the new nature. We want to see others come to know Christ. We want to see the name of Christ magnified. We know those things about each other because we share salvation together. We want to see righteousness prevail. We want to see holiness grow in in each other's lives. There's so many things that, that we can have confidence when we look at one another because we know we share salvation. And we can appeal to one another as believers based on these things that we know. Things that are infinitely more significant than things like we drive the same vehicle and we enjoy similar foods. So let's think about how this should work out. Last week... Grace and I went on vacation. We went to South Carolina to see our son. And imagine that this week, now that I'm back, you hear me bragging about how quickly I made the, the return trip back from South Carolina. You, you do the math, and, and after you hear me brag, and you realize that there's a, he got back at least an hour quicker than you can possibly do if you're driving the speed limit. And by the way, I did not do that. I, I did not get back that fast, but, but imagine that. So you know I broke the speed limit. I broke it significantly. That Go with the imagination. Well, you could appeal to me not to do that based on the risk of getting a big speeding ticket. You could pull me alongside and say, you know, if you got caught in Ohio, it would cost you a lot. You could appeal to me based on the danger involved. You know, those hills of Kentucky are dangerous. Don't drive that fast. But you can, and I would argue you should appeal me based on our shared salvation. My actions reflect on our Savior. You can point out I am the pastor of a Christian church. All that I do carries the name of Christ. I am damaging the reputation of Christ and our church through a disregard of the responsibilities that Christ has placed on me as a believer. I am ignoring his command to submit to the governing authorities. I am not acting as a Christian should. I'm not fulfilling my purpose in Christ. And that is so much more significant than the financial impact of a speeding ticket. You can appeal to me on that basis because of my salvation. Our appeals toward other believers should find their basis in our shared salvation. That is one principle that, that we can apply to our lives from this letter that Paul writes to Philemon. A second principle is, is that we should call other believers to show grace to others that reflects the grace received from Christ. It's a little bit lengthy, so read again, think it through. We should call other believers to show grace to others that reflects the grace they've received from Christ. Paul calls for Philemon to show grace to Onesimus. Paul models grace by offering to pay restitution for any damages Philemon's incurred from Onesimus' action. But most significantly, Paul reminds Philemon that all of this is less than the grace Philemon has personally received from Christ. Philemon's sins have been forgiven. Philemon has been given new life. Philemon is a child of God, not because of his efforts, not because of his worth, but because of God's grace. For this reason alone, Philemon should willingly reflect grace in his interactions with others, particularly with Onesimus. Friends, the, the same is true for us. The, the grace that we receive from Christ is greater than any grace we might be asked to show others. But sometimes we need people to come alongside and remind us of that fact. We get caught up in the, the circumstances of our situation. We get so focused on our own rights and our own pains that, that we forget that we should be willing to show grace to others rather than exact retribution. We may need others to step in and call us to do our duty to to display the grace we've experienced. We may also need to become people who will step in and call other believers to show grace. Paul was willing to put his relationship with Philemon on the line so that Christ would be magnified through the reconciliation here between Philemon and Onesimus. Just think for a moment about the waves it must have made in Classe when Philemon welcomed home his runaway slave, not with punishment, not with retribution, but welcomed him with love and kindness. Think about the testimony that was created when Onesimus began joyfully serving a master he had run away from. That's likely what transpired. We don't have a record of what transpired, but the simple fact that this letter that Paul wrote in an open fashion is recorded in the canon of Scripture suggests that is likely what transpired. image certainly didn't destroy the letter and make sure it never saw the light of day again. It was saved. Onesimus maybe saved this as his letter of freedom, his spiritual freedom. We don't know how it made it into our canon, but we have it. Yet when Paul wrote, there was no guarantee that there would be a happy ending. When, when he calls Philemon to share gr- grace or to show grace to Onesimus, Paul has no guarantee that's what would transpire. He was simply willing to risk his relationship with Philemon because Christ would be magnified if Philemon responded well. We need to be willing to risk our relationships If necessary, we need to be willing to risk our relationship to call others to reflect the grace that they have received from Christ. Christianity is a community affair. We cannot turn a blind eye. We cannot turn a deaf ear. We cannot ignore graceless actions between believers. We must call them to reflect on what they receive from Christ themselves and then put that in action, displaying it to others. We should call other believers to show grace to others that reflects the grace received from Christ. This evening we've taken just this short tour through this, I would say, underutilized epistle. We, we don't spend enough time in it. This letter to Philemon from Paul. From from the short time we've extracted the these two principles our appeal toward other believers must find their basis in our shared shared salvation and, and we should call other believers to show grace to others that reflect the grace received from Christ. Let's learn from this letter and let's put these principles into practice. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this short little letter, this personal letter that deals with a unique circumstance, a situation that is different from any that we personally experience, and yet, Father, there are principles throughout that apply directly to our lives. So I pray that you would help us to be men and women that would put these principles into application. That we would rejoice in what we receive from Christ, what we celebrated tonight around the table, and that we would put that into practice, reflecting to the world around us the grace that we've received. For Father, our desire is to joyfully magnify our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.